Um, yeah, so Shelly, I've, I've talked about her lots because she's great. Um, she is our Wycliffe intern for this past semester. So she's been doing all kinds of stuff with our prayer ministry, with home church stuff, with just general leading of things and being willing to go wherever I ask her to go, which has been honestly quite helpful. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted Shelly to have a teaching opportunity while she's doing her, your, it's your MDiv, right? Yes. Yes. MDiv. So while she's doing her MDiv, I was like, you know what, you should preach. And I've talked a lot the last like month or so here with <laughs> local teaching, so I figured we'd hand it over. So Shelly, super excited to have you share with us, and just thank you for being a part of this community. Well, thank you for the invitation to share this morning. Um, <laughs> as uh, Jen just introduced me, I am a student at Wycliffe in, in seminary there, and I've taken one whole preaching course, so ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a privilege to share the Word of God with you this morning. Um, I just want to introduce a bit of a personal testimony, let you know where I'm coming from and where my absolute love for the church comes from. Um, I came to Jesus when just before I turned 20, and I was, I, I guess I was lost and, uh, you know, looking for answers and a, a friend invited me out to church and I thought how would I ever be a Christian like just a ragamuffin person into the mold of being a Christian but I did come out to this church and met this wonderful group of young adults who showed me the love of God in in action and showed me in the in the word of God how I was accepted as I am and it's a story of most of us who've come to the Lord we've come to the Lord not being you know perfect perfect Christians and not really understanding everything there is to know about it. but in this in this church I fell in love with Jesus and fell in love with his church and the people of God in the community that I was embraced in, discipled, loved, grounded, healed. So I want to introduce my topic this morning. It's a, a broad topic, God only knows. And when I thought about God only knows, I thought about the mystery of God's plan and how, I mean, we're in an unusual time right now, and sometimes it's hard to see where God is and how he's working in our lives and in the, in the world. I mean, I don't need to spell out what the challenges have been over the past two, three years um, as the uncertainties continue to multiply. And, you know, often in difficult times, we do wonder where, where God is and what he's doing. Well, in Scripture, the plan, God's grand plan for us, is revealed. And I want to turn to a text this morning in Ephesians, um, one of my favorite books of the Bible, um, Ephesians, where the narrative of God's grand plan is laid out so beautifully. This is, uh, Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the Gentile Christian church in a place called Ephesus. 
And um, you know, the real purpose was to encourage them to grow spiritually in relation to God and also to grow in unity with one another. So if you have a Bible, or here it is up here, but if you wanna, if you wanna turn in your Bible to Ephesians 1, verse 3 to 10, or your Bible app, um, I'm just gonna read this, starting at verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Let's move to the next slide and see the areas that I highlighted in here. Scripture reveals that the center of understanding the mystery of God's motives in his plans is to gather all things up into Jesus. And what does this mean for us? Well, it, it's a lifetime journey through all 66 books of the Bible to really, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to unravel the multifaceted wonder of what it means to be gathered up in Christ. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed as the way and the truth and the life. And if we skip to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, I don't know if you've spent much time in that book, but um, yeah, it's it's a wonder. And the book of Revelation gathers up and summarizes all the plans and purposes of God. And it adjusts how we view Jesus with a much bigger view of Jesus. Jesus is revealed in Revelation as the Alpha and Omega, the A to the Z. He's the Alpha. He was there at the beginning. He is the Alpha. He's the Father's, Father God's eternal counterpart. A life radiates in and through Jesus. And therefore, Jesus defines and shapes everything. There's really nothing makes sense without Jesus. But he's also the omega. It's not just that all things come from Christ. They are also destined for him. Destined by God. All things in heaven and earth destined to be gathered up in him. And every Christ-centered gathering like we have here this morning at a church is an expression of our union with him. So I want to talk this morning specifically about two aspects of what it means to be gathered up in Christ. I want to talk about prayer 
and I want to talk about fellowship. So we've got a slide on prayer. Just uh, a little, little visual. Um, in the book of Acts, which is the story of the brand new church of, of Christians that gathered, we read that these early Christians, the newly baptized believers, they lived out their faith in Christ like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These are the four things that are highlighted as what they, what um, characterized what they did together. Well, prayer is at the heart of the Christian life. In fact, we're encouraged in scripture to pray without ceasing. We're urged to bear one another's burdens and pray for one another. But some people are very uncomfortable in praying for others. I don't know, maybe you pray privately and you know, you're good with that, but you feel a little awkward praying out loud. Well, even Christians who've been in ministry for a long time sometimes feel a little self-conscious in certain situations when it comes to praying with another person. Well, I wanna share something that I learned as a young Christian about prayer. I, I came from a, a family that, you know, a, a broken home and a, a, lot of, a lot of dysfunction and uh, complexity to the relationships. And I, I became a Christian before my sister, who's a year older, she became a Christian after me. And when I was praying with um, some of my newfound Christian friends uh, about my family and about my sister, I would pray, you know, God, she really, she really needs you, and I, I know she's lost without you, but there's no way that she's ever going to step foot in a church, so I don't know. I had zero faith in praying for my sister, and a Christian friend pointed that out to me. She said, you realize that you're not praying with any faith. Like, do you not think what God did for you, he could do for anybody else? I said, well, you don't know, you don't know my sister and you don't know how opposed she was to me becoming a Christian and how opposed she is to Christians in general. Well, my, this, this uh, friend of mine who was mentoring me as a, as a young Christian, she said, well, I'll pray with you and I will pray with faith and mentor you in how, you know, in how to pray. And it was really... It, well, my, I mean, my sister today is a beautiful Christian woman, and it was certainly not had anything to do with how I prayed for her because I didn't believe. Some, I mean, sometimes we're too close to the situation to faith, and that's why we need each other. And that's one of the reasons to pray for one another and with one another. So I wanna talk about how our union with Christ gives a deeper context to how we pray with one another. There's a verse in Romans 8:34 that's really illuminating. It says, Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God 
and is also interceding for us. This is something that I've thought about a lot lately whenever I've prayed for somebody. Um, Jesus is already there. He's already interceding for that situation. And that just gives us a lot of confidence when we approach, uh, when we approach God in prayer. Picture and trust that Jesus is already there. All of our prayer is first the prayer of Jesus. And Jesus sanctifies our prayers by incorporating them into his own. He discerns the core longings of our hearts and he mediates our prayers to the Father. The, the message, uh, I don't know if anyone's read the Message Bible. Um, it's, uh, uh, it's not exactly a translation. It's more a, a rewording of scripture in uh, more modern wording. Well, the Message Bible writes about Christ's intercession for us this way. He is sticking up for us. And I really like that. So I hope you find this encouraging next time you pray for somebody or pray with somebody, knowing that Christ is there. So the next point I want to talk about uh, regarding our union with Christ is fellowship. And I have a slide. Because there's a Greek word for fellowship that uh, we Christians use called koinonia. It's sort of like amped up fellowship, but uh, I'll, I'll explain. In, uh, again, back to Acts 2, the early Christian believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Well, I was talking to my son who's up top, Mitchell, um, about fellowship in his church. He, he mostly attends a church downtown that has a lot of young adults. And so I asked him, what is fellowship like for you and for your church? And he gave me the perfect sermon illustration. He said, well, it just so happens that on Friday night, we're getting together for an ice cream bar, karaoke, line dancing, a movie, and a bar with craft beer. And I thought, well, that sounds like an awful lot of fun. But I, you know, I, I probed a little further and said, what is it about your relationship with these people in the church that, uh, you know, what is the fellowship for you there? And he said, you know, it's interesting. There's people of different ages, and there's students who are studying different, different things, and there's... Um, you know, people from different cultures. We all come together and there's this unity in studying the scriptures together and uh, caring for one another and praying for one another. And so I thought, I thought that was amazing. Um, but koinonia, it's a, it's a Greek word that appears in different forms about 20 times in the New Testament. And it describes the interactive relationship between God and believers who are sharing new life through Christ. God calls us to koinonia, and it's part of his grand plan for us. This was his grand design, was fellowship with him 
that makes us all one in Christ. And it, it does away with the differences that divide us. Koinonia draws together the vertical dimension of our relationship with God and the horizontal relationship with each other by means of our common life in Christ. It's the mystery of God's eternal plan. It's, it's us right here is, was his plan. It was revealed to the first Christians with amazement because the first Christians in the New Testament came from two very segregated groups, Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And with amazement, they came together, men and women, Jewish and non-Jewish, Gentile, Christ followers, united in Christ, into one community, one family, one church. That's the mystery of God's plan revealed to us in scripture to bring unity to all things in heaven on earth under Christ. And this is God's ministry that we have been invited into and invited to participate in. It's God's plan for us is for redemption of each one of us, reconciliation amongst us, restoration of broken relationships. And everything we do here at the Meeting House, East Toronto Parish, is directed to that goal, God's grand plan. And the good news is that everything we do is not cast upon our own shoulders to accomplish. Where it can feel like an obligation or even a burden rather than a joy, we're called to participate with what God is already doing. Trusting in God's care for us that's rooted in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to take us to um, prayer, a prayer together to, to wrap up this sermon. And I was thinking this morning, the Lord's Prayer, the way that Jesus taught, uh, taught his disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer is being prayed in churches all over the world this morning or this weekend. I mean, it's, it's Eastern Orthodox Easter and um, all over the world, there are Christians saying the, the Lord's Prayer and praying it together. Well, I really like this version in the Message Bible. Yep, it's up there. In the Message Bible, it's just a little tweak, a little rewording of it. So I'm going to ask us to pray this together. Starting now, our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best, as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're a blaze in beauty. Yes, yes, yes. Almighty God, we pray for enduring faith to rely on you and to trust your purposes and plans in Jesus' name. Amen.